for next year, we'll be restructuring our whole network to pull our service out of downtown and redeploy it will provide a higher frequency, a more comprehensive network here within the county. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Good to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged. In depth this week with the CEO of Community Transit in the state of Washington in the United States, Rick Ilgenfritz. Thank you so much for being with us today as a guest on our podcast. It is great to be here, Paul. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, you've got a lot going on there uh, in your operation, I know, a pretty big size operation. And so we're happy you could take a little bit of time today to share with us some about your system, the um, ideas you're working on, the projects you've got going on, and what the future looks like for community transit there. Uh, First off, tell us a little bit about your system, Rick. Uh, Give us kind of a, a scope of what you do there, the type of services, how big it is, number of vehicles, drivers. Give us the inside baseball talk. Sure. Well, Community Transit is a great organization because we have a little bit of everything. Uh, We have a really unique service territory, 1,300 square miles in Snohomish County, Washington, which is the county just north of Seattle. Uh, So we have uh, the, the North Corridor suburbs as you go up the Interstate 5 corridor out of Seattle. Uh, We have some compact, dense urban markets. We have some long-distance rural services out toward the mountains and out toward the south. We have uh, a lot of commuter express services in and out of Seattle. Uh, So it's really an interesting mix of services. And at the core of it, we have an active uh, bus rapid transit capital program and two operating BRT lines today. So it's fun. Uh, We augment that service, of course, with uh, paratransit, um, with uh, some contracted service on the commuter side. And we are uh, experimenting as we speak with uh, some demand response services. So, Rick, community transit, uh, what's the jurisdiction that it serves? Uh, Snohomish County uh, and the cities within Snohomish County. uh, Our service territory is referred to as a public transit benefit area under Washington law and uh, we were voted into existence by a vote of the uh, citizens of Snohomish County in the mid 70s so we have uh, a number of small medium and large suburban cities north of Seattle and around the city of Everett in Snohomish County okay and what's but the population have, uh, our population of our service territory is about 650,000 people okay and uh, we are an independent um public benefit authority. Aha. Uh-huh. So how does that work? Do you have a board of directors that are appointed by local political jurisdictions? We do. We have a federated board of nine members and uh, one non-voting uh, union representative. Uh, our, our board members uh, include representatives of the Snohomish County Council uh, and a number of cities uh, within the county, including City of Linwood, City of Marysville, uh, city of Muckleteo, Arlington, Snohomish, and so forth. And you were describing the type of services you have. Can you give us um, a little bit about, you know, how many vehicles, passenger counts, those kind of things? Sure. We uh, operate, our direct, directly operated service uh, uses a fleet of 305 uh, diesel coaches. Uh, we have some hybrids. Uh, we have a blend of 40-footers and 60-foot articulated coaches. Um, for our commuter services, we have another 60 or so coaches, and those are 
a combination of uh, Alexander Dennis uh, double deckers. Uh, oh fly. yeah, I've seen those. I think they had those in Vegas. Right, and they ply the I-5 corridor back and forth between Seattle and Snohomish County. And then we also have some additional Arctics on that uh, corridor as well. So that's your commuter service into Seattle? Mm-hmm. And uh, is that directly operated by you? We contract for the commuter service. That's, and, that's what, so, yeah, a lot of people do that. I did the same thing when I was at MTA Baltimore. We had 350 motor coaches contracted out to seven different motor coach companies. It's their bread and butter. Unfortunately, right. they took a real hit during the pandemic. Right. Uh, you know, in the spring now of 2023, where are you at on that service, on the, on the bus service, commuter buses? So we, we provide two brands of commuter service. One is a community transit branded service that serves uh, the Northgate uh, rail terminal for sound transit and also uh, some point to point service to downtown. We also are the contract operator for the sound transit express service. Uh, that, that is a sound transit branded product, and that operates the length of the corridor from Everett to into Seattle and back. But that's a, those are both peak hour services that we run south in the morning um, and north in the afternoon. Okay. Now, the sound transit product runs all day, although at lower frequencies off peak. And uh, what um, I hate to even ask this question because <laughs> I'm trying to get away from it. But where are you at on ridership versus pre-pandemic levels on your commuter bus service? Of course, that's a great question. Um, I'll, I'll give you the longer answer. Of the okay. You, uh, we dropped about two-thirds of our service at the beginning of the pandemic, two-thirds of our ridership, sorry. Uh, we are now back to about 65% of where we were. Uh, the commuter service is, is still struggling. Um, it's come back up about, uh, it, it bottomed out about 15% yes. levels, levels, and it's probably grown back, uh, about 20%. Okay. So, but it's, you know, we're seeing, the, the a reflection of a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday commute week in that service. Yeah. The three day city, man. We talk about that almost every week. Right. And by contrast, you know, our bus rapid transit service, which is branded Swift BRT. Okay. Uh, you know, that's 10 minute service and it's almost all the way back to pre-pandemic level. Isn't that and interesting? I, yeah. I think frequency is so important. Yeah. That, you know, if, if there's a service there, people know about and can rely on, they're going to use it and yep. we're that in, in the BRT service. Your neighbor to the North, Kevin Quinn, who runs TransLink in Vancouver, Canada, used to be my director of planning, uh, when I was at MTA Baltimore and then he became CEO after I left. But, um, he has a great quote, which I know other people say too, but I like to attribute it to him. And that is frequency equals freedom. And exactly. uh, I, I think you're living proof of that there with your BRT. Yeah. And interestingly, in addition to that, um, our, our weekend service has grown beyond pre-pandemic levels. Uh, our rural services have grown beyond pre-pandemic levels. Wow, that's great. Or using the services differently. Yeah. Get, before the pandemic. And I think it's because the rhythm of the work week has changed. Yeah, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. I haven't really had a chance to talk to a CEO lately that runs a commuter bus service. Talk to a lot of commuter train service folks. So are you running the same level of service as you did pre-pandemic on commuter buses like the headways uh, in the morning and the afternoon? Are they the same or have you reduced? Are you still you know, at a reduced level? Yeah, we're, we're, at, about, we're, redu- we're at about 80% of what we were. Okay. 2019. 
So it's still pretty frequent service. And, um, but yeah, you, it's, you're trying to match the ridership, right? Where you have the ridership. Right. We want to have enough capacity out there on the road, uh, to, to meet demand. And one of our big markets is the university of Washington. Okay. That's a, that's a large research institution with 45,000 students. Um, and when they resumed in-person classes last fall, um, you know, that, that market picked up and we yeah. saw ridership as a result of that. So the, the university, you know, a big university, as you know, has its own gravitational pull when it comes yes. to mobility and we're seeing, we're seeing some response to that. Tell me about, uh, your paratransit service. How is that doing? How does that run, et cetera? To me, as and I, I think you would agree, Rick, the people that need service the most, you know, need to have uh, really top-notch service for them. I, I, you know, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of my career working in the disability community, and I'm always concerned that, you know, because the costs are so high to operate that curb-to-curb, and many cities are doing door-to-door service, that that, you know, is an obvious choice when we hit that fiscal cliff, <laughs> even though it is a civil right. And so I'm, I'm always interested to see how cities are handling that. Well, it's it's interesting. You're well aware of the uh, effects of the labor market on transit in general. Yes. And we've seen that in the uh, paratransit service here in particular. We contract for that service through TransDev. We've maintained that service throughout the pandemic. Uh, we did see uh, a decrease, uh, like everybody else, in, in patronage and utilization, but it has come, started to come back up. And our contractor does a great job, but they, they struggle with recruitment and retention, just like every other agency. So, you know, the good news there is we're pretty well resourced. Uh, we're sales tax dependent. And um, aside from, you know, April and May of 2020, uh, the sales tax really rebounded and has performed super robustly ever since. So we, we've had the ability to, to respond on the resource side to make sure we keep that service available and on the road and there when people need it. But as with all of our services, you know, it's, a, it's an everyday uh, push yes. to re- retain the personnel. Yeah, you know, uh, I've asked a lot of people about that question. In Baltimore, my old hometown, uh, the head of paratransit, Josh there, has w- switched to a brand new reimbursement methodology for the contractors that I've never seen before anywhere else in the country. I went and had lunch with them a couple months ago I wanted to dig into it with him to see how it was working. Get this. Instead of reimbursing the contractors like TransDev or MV, those companies like that, Keolis, National Express, RITP Dev, uh, instead of per revenue hour, which is how most people do it, he's changed the reimbursement methodology to per full-time employee that they provide. Hmm. So they pulled out all the stops to bring in all their recruiters and make sure that all the uh, all the slots are filled because... It's the old saying, follow the money. And so if that's how they're reimbursed, that it just marked the nature of wars of vacuum or whatever you want to call it. And yeah. they have they are fully staffed. And you know what his on-time performance now is? 96% on-time performance. Now, yeah. as you know, you pull that one way and, uh, and then productivity may suffer. But they have made a decision at the MTA in Baltimore, as I understand it, that they're going to focus on the customer. And they do have the resources, as you mentioned, you do, to cover those costs. And so they're going to focus on, we need drivers so that we can make sure that we don't leave anyone behind and that we improve our on-time performance. And they've done it. Tell me yeah. about your budget, Rick. You mentioned, uh, m- many people may not realize it, but in two weeks, I'm going to have 
uh, a compatriot of yours on the show who I've already interviewed prior to interviewing you, Tom Hinkson, who's head of Everett Transit. And he was telling me how that they have a sales tax, but it's less than percentage-wise what you get in the in the overall county, Sonomish County. So tell me about your funding, your budget, and how all that works. Sure. So we're funded by a sales tax that is 1.2 cents on the dollar. And uh, we that's our primary revenue source. Okay. Only local tax source. Um, and it produces a robust level of income every year. Our operating budget for 2023 is $200 million. Our capital budget for the first time in our agency's history exceeds our operating budget at $227 million. Wow. So we've been fortunate because we, through the, through the pandemic, our sales taxes has performed well. Our grants revenue has performed well. We obviously received a great deal of assistance from our federal partner. We have a, a state government that is investing in transit. So, you know, we've, we've had the ability to establish some capital reserves and uh, develop a bus rapid transit uh, improvement program. Uh, so we have two operating BRT lines. We have four active BRT capital projects to expand that system. Um, and uh, while I'm at it, we're also uh, in the midst of our zero emission feasibility study. And we've been able to establish a, a reserve to support our eventual updated fleet plan. So, you know, we've been very fortunate to be able to partner with the federal government, but with FTA and the CIG program. Uh, we do very well in the competitive uh, area for raise grants for, you know, Tiger grants before that. Right. Uh, through the competitive uh, processes administered by our MPOs. Long story short, you know, we're, we're in a good position to be able to invest in our infrastructure uh, as well as our service. That's wonderful. Uh, and do you charge a fare for your service for to ride regular bus? And, we and do. what is that? 250. Is it, it, 250. That's dead. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and now we also, we also, we, we offer a, a senior fare, a low income fare. We also okay. just, uh, had a new state law enacted last year, creating a new grant program, incentivizing transit agency agencies to let all kids ride for free under the age of 19. We have joined that, uh, that community effort and now all kids statewide are able to ride transit for free. Do you, do you find kids are riding to go to school on your service? Um, it's more after school. Okay. Weekends. Uh, kids going to jobs, going to events, going to social engagements. We've seen around a 50% increase in youth ridership since we started this last September. It's definitely had a, a positive uh, effect. Yeah. And once they start learning to rely on and reading schedules and all that as young people, hopefully they'll take those patterns with them into their adulthood. Yes, we have a state senator here from our county who chairs our Senate Transportation Committee, Senator Marco Elias. He'd be a great interview for you, by the way, but <laughs> he's a true champion of transit. And it was his brainchild to, to do the free youth fairs for everybody. Yeah, that's great. Transportation package last fall. Let's talk a little bit more about funding before we go into future plans. Some transit agencies now in the spring of 2023 are you know, worried about what they're calling a fiscal cliff. San Francisco has mentioned that, uh, Muni, that when they get through this last uh, bit of ARPA funds that they have, that because ridership has not come back and they were very dependent on fares from that ridership to fund them, uh, that they are going to be in a world of hurt <laughs> financially. Uh, but it doesn't sound like that's the case there. Am I wrong? Oh, or? 
No, well, I mean, you know, obviously you want to be prudent. And, right. Uh, you know, we want to plan and we do plan for financial sustainability. My goal in expanding our capital program was to make sure that we could commit to delivering our service growth goals long term before we committed to additional capital investments. And we've been able to show that path to our board of directors. We were fortunate uh, to be able to pass a ballot measure in 2015 that increased our sales tax from nine tenths uh, to, to 12 tenths, essentially. And uh, as I said, it's performed robustly and we've been able to establish you know, generous capital and operating reserves. So we're not as sensitive to changes in fair revenue, although fair revenue is an important part of our operating revenue. Um, you know, we, this year we have a six month oper- operating reserve, for example. Oh, that's great, Rick. Congratulations. That's really good fiscal stewardship. Yeah. Well, you know, knock on wood, right? We're, we're, we're as dependent on the business cycle as everybody else. And the sales tax is a fickle partner. Uh, we've just yeah. been fortunate the last few years to, to see it perform very well. And what have you got planned for the near future? You mentioned you're going to be working on your BRT. What specifically are you doing there uh, with your, you know, with your plans and what other big plans do you have? Well, our, the centerpiece uh, of our planning right now is a major network restructure to integrate okay. our system with Sound Transit's light rail system. Sound Transit is the regional transit authority that serves uh, King, Pearson, Snohomish County, the greater Seattle area. And as many folks know, they've got probably the most ambitious uh, capital program in the country as far as rail. They're spending about two and a half billion to bring light rail up into Snohomish County with a terminal at Linwood, which is our one of our largest cities. So in the fall of 2024, next year, we'll be restructuring our whole network to pull our service out of downtown and redeploy it within the county to provide more coverage and more frequency and connections to three of those four new light rail stations. So that's a really ambitious undertaking that is going to affect all of our passengers. And um, we're very excited about that. We, we put about 30% of our service hours into uh, King County and downtown Seattle. And we're going to pull that service back into the county, let Sound Transit take over that load and be able to provide a, a higher frequency, uh, more comprehensive uh, coverage network uh, here within the county. So that's thing one. And at the heart of that network, Paul, is our bus rapid transit program. Okay. We, I mentioned we have the two operating lines today, the green line and the blue line. We also have a CIG-funded third line under construction today, and that's the orange line. Um, Will that be dedicated lanes and, and all that? It's uh, business access transit lanes. So it's, okay. it's curbside bus lanes with you know access right in, right out for, sure, for yeah. businesses and employers. So it's, it's pretty good, yeah. uh, pretty reliable. We had the FTA administrator, Nuria Fernandez, out for a groundbreaking uh, last spring. And uh, we're hoping to have her come back out again next March when we yes. open that line. She's great. Really getting out. I mean, she's like seems like every every other week she's out at another ribbon cutting or something. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh, she's just such a great champion uh, for, for the industry and for the yeah. federal partnership. And, and, uh, and Yeah, but having fact, run a transit system, she's one of us. And so she yes, gets it. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, we also have a, a fourth line under uh, development uh, in planning that we expect to take into project development next year. That's the gold line, and that goes up into our North County area. And then we've got two extensions in development, an extension of the blue line 
Well, that'll take us down to one of the light rail stations. And then our green line, we're extending down into uh, Bothell uh, to connect with Sound Transit's bus rapid transit network in East King County. Okay. So four active BRT projects right now. Wow. And then also uh, active uh, facilities uh, program. We're expanding our operating base. We're adding six new double bays and 14 new lifts to handle fleet expansion. And we're headed down the path of, uh, you know, cracking the code on zero emission. Yeah. Yeah. Keep, keep hydrogen in mind. That's my, that's my advice. <laughs> We're looking at it very closely, Paul. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I, we started the interview by talking about our service territory and, and we've got some very long routes. Um, I, you mm. know, I need a vehicle that can do 350, 400 miles. Right. Without a charge. A day. And, yeah. and that's, that's pointing toward hydrogen in a pretty significant way. So we're going to look very closely at it. And it may be that we end up with a blended approach. Yes. A lot of people are looking at that. Yeah. All of the above approach. I've got a bunch of shows coming up uh, on hydrogen. Uh, It just, to me, makes sense to consider that as well with the electric grid and all the other things going on that we, you know, like one CEO told me, and I didn't come up with this. These were other CEOs telling me this, uh, that made me start thinking about it was that, you know, this is one on the East Coast who told me, Paul, if Hurricane Sandy came up, when it came up and ripped up everything on the coast, if we'd have been all electric buses, we'd have been plumb out of luck in our, in our role to get people out of the city, right, to evacuate. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. back then, of course, they were diesel and they were able to get diesel fuel and all that. But going forward, if we move away from uh, fossil fuels, I think uh, a lot of CEOs are telling me on the coast especially <laughs> That mm-hmm. we need to look at other, I mean, look at Lauren Skyver down in California, you know, in Southern California with her hydrogen plant down there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, I think a blended approach is what a lot of CEOs and people that are thinking about us and, you know, and also the supply chain issues and all the other stuff going on with being able to get enough uh, zero emission buses of one type to, mm-hmm. to meet the political mandate saying by certain, by a year certain, you have to be, you know, X amount this way. So People yeah. are scrambling. I've talked to a lot of people about it lately, Rick. So I think that's smart. You're looking at that. Yeah, and we're, and we're a little uniquely positioned here in the Northwest. Uh, we, we are blessed with abundant hydroelectric power. We have a clean energy source. And there's a lot of active discussion underway right now within the transit industry here about uh, forming a hydrogen cooperative. Uh, Interesting. To, uh, generate and produce and share that resource. If you get that going, let me know, because I'd love to, you know, get everybody on a, sh- on a show together and do that either in person or because I think that's important. I'm, um, you know, our friend um, in California, uh, Doran Barnes, uh, uh, Doran is uh, big in hydrogen as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's some great learning out there. And, you know, we're remiss if we don't take advantage of what our what our peers are, are experiencing as they experiment in this space. But yeah. it looks really promising to me. That does sound good. You know, it's funny, uh, all this great capital and and even operating dollars, it seems like you've gotten through the federal government to do some interesting things. Uh, A lot of that probably comes from your background of actually understanding really how all these programs work from the Hill, right? Didn't you start your career there on the Hill? I did. I started my career in the House of Representatives in the late 80s and uh, had the opportunity to to work at the Committee on Energy and Commerce under John Dingell and the at the time, uh, Representative Al Swift from out here, who represented the second congressional district, which interestingly is the congressional district currently uh, occupied by Rick Lars. 
So yeah. I've come all the way back around. To, that is to interesting. Yeah. Because he's, he's our congressman here in Everett. And explain uh, to everybody else his role now. Right. He's the ranking Democrat on the House TNI committee, and he had a major uh, role to play in the development of the uh, bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act. And now he's obviously very focused on uh, overseeing implementation of those policies. So he's just been such a tremendous partner for, for us here, but also transit nationally. Yes. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that he himself is a bus rider and a transit user. So that's great. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so I, I started way back when uh, on, on the House Energy and Commerce Committee, and that committee had jurisdiction over rail. So I got involved in Amtrak Capital and, and operating uh, expansion, Northeast Corridor. We authored the first High Speed Rail Authorization Act and then went on to work in the Senate. For six years for Senator Murray, uh, I had an opportunity to, to support her in her first term uh, in the 90s. And then I made my way back home uh, here into the Northwest with my wife. We had our first child and I landed at Sound Transit, the aforementioned Sound Transit, where I spent 17 years uh, working to plan the expansion of their system. Now you're on the other end, the receiving end of it as they right. came up, right? Oh, that's right. interesting, so, Rick. Yeah. Now I'm up north and... Uh, working with them to complete the regional vision up here in the north part of our of our metropolitan area. Well, you guys have a real gem in Julie Tim. You know, she was my neighbor here in the east working in Richmond for quite a while mm-hmm. and is a great friend of our program, has done a lot of podcasts and TV show and live yeah. events with us. And uh, she has got a great vision. She told me about that light rail line coming up into your community. So it's really yep. interesting to hear from your perspective. I'm very excited for the work that's happening there in the Pacific Northwest. That's why we're doing two back-to-back shows. So your your show will be on, and then two weeks later, Tom Hingston's will be on from Everett. And uh, I think it's a great, um, you got a great, uh, and and I didn't even know your congressman was was the ranking Democrat on the House T&I committee. That's amazing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And Senator Murray on the Senate side is chairing the Appropriations Committee, and Senator Cantwell is chairing the Commerce Committee. So we're really well positioned to to partner with the federal government and innovate and yes. try some new things and, and really uh, be the test bed for some of these new policies. That's wonderful, Rick. Well, hopefully sometime in the next year or two, I can get out there and see with my own eyes and and uh, and meet you there and, and tour some of the operations there. It sounds like a wonderful place. Yeah, we'd love to have you out and give you a ride. Thank you. Yeah, I was out there for the APTA conference, of course. And, mm-hmm. uh, but was all tied up with what was going on there. Didn't get to get out too much, but you've got some right. wonderful people there. Yeah. I'll be visiting with Michelle and Julie tomorrow. In fact, oh, well, tell them I said, hi, we're, uh, I will do that. It's a great group. As you mentioned, we meet monthly as a group just to compare notes and coordinate our efforts and, and make sure our staffs are collaborating. And it's, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to, to be here and have this, uh, community of common interests. Yes. That's wonderful. Well, Rick, thank you so much for being our guest today. Uh, you are, I think you are sitting on prime real estate for exciting things happening in public transportation over the next five years. Maybe some of the best news I've heard in the last year or so, you know, talking with CEOs, you've got a very positive environment with the funding you need, both from the feds and locals. It shows you the value of having a dedicated sales tax uh, where you don't have to go and kind of hat in hand every year to the legislature and like a lot of transit agencies do. So you're set prime for success. And with a leader like you in place who understands, you know, what's happening on the Hill as well as locally, uh, the people there in Sonoma County are well-served. Thank you for being our guest today. 
Thank you, Paul. Thanks for reaching out. And like I said, uh, let us know when you're going to be out here and we'll, we'll give you a tour. Awesome. Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, Transit and Kindness Advocate, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about mentorship, leadership, and kindness with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. Wow, there's a lot to talk about after the most recent Transit Unplugged Live from the Think Transit Conference in Nashville, with our industry leaders leading once again. The leadership tidbits that were covered by the inspiring leaders directly align with mentorship, leadership, and kindness. A few of the inspiring comments that I heard were particular to the workforce deficit and recruiting discussions that continue to go on in our industry and are very relevant to the work that I'm doing with the young emerging leaders within CUDA in Canada. Staffing, supply chain funding, but somehow getting in front of the youth and the next generation of our workers. I think the issue of identifying talent and amplifying the message that there are many jobs beyond just operators and schedules in transit is something that was hit on by all the leaders at Think Transit. There are skill sets we need at every level. Leaders like to discuss these There's multiple things that are on the hot plate. Diversity, low emission, rider behavior, politics, mentoring, board relationships, all those skill sets. We need to get our young leaders to understand we need them. How much do we need them? They are the future. Let's get them on board. Transit is kind by nature. I think it's another direct parlay. And the mentorship of these leaders that come to the Think Transit Conference and all the Unplugged podcasts and share this information is truly inspiring and continues to help us with the recruiting efforts. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Kindness is cool. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged In-Depth with our special guest, Rick Ilgenfritz, CEO of Community Transit in Snohomish County, Washington. Now, next week on Transit Unplugged News and Views, we're continuing our discussion of hydrogen-powered vehicles with Doran Barnes, CEO of Foothill Transit, and Carl Gannat, Managing Director of the Champaign-Urbana Mass Transit District. We also hear from Jim Herring, CIO of MV Transportation, with his recommendations on some business and leadership books you should really check out. Now make sure you visit transitunplugged.com so you sign up for the newsletter. You're always in the loop with whatever's going on with the show. But if you have a question, comment, or want to be a guest on the show, feel free to email us at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, ride safe, ride happy. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Transit Unplugged, the podcast. How would you like to see behind-the-scenes footage of the agencies that Paul visits? then be sure to check out the new Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube, where transit evangelist Paul Comfort dives into the culture, the food, and the transit of major cities around the world. You'll see the operations control centers, how maintenance shops work, and the latest innovations taking place at agencies around the globe as we work together to improve the lives of our transit riders and our communities. Be sure to subscribe to Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube or at transitunplugged.com. 